You are listening to the Reality Steve Podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Michelle's season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 257. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Great convo today with Reality Blurred's Andy Dennert. It's been on a few times. Uh, we talk about race on Big Brother. We talk about the IATSE strike that almost happened and could have shut down The Bachelor and other reality shows and shows and movies all across the United States. And then we also talk about Andy and I's favorite show, Survivor. Uh, we end with that. So those are pretty much the three main topics that we talk about in this podcast. And I think a really, really good discussion, especially if you're a Big Brother fan. I really hope you listen to this. We'll get to those. Um, we'll get to those topics momentarily. There's a few things I want to address regarding things that happened on Tuesday's premiere of Michelle's season. Uh, and a couple of the spoilers. So there is going to be spoiler talk about Clayton's season of The Bachelor filming right now uh, in this open. So if you don't want to know, fast forward through it. But let's start off with Clayton himself. One of the sentiments that I've seen, been emailed to me, that I've seen online, is like people were expecting, and I guess still expecting in future episodes, for Clayton to just blow people's socks off and, oh, this is why they chose him as The Bachelor. He's so charming and so great and whatever. And I think people are, and if they don't get that, they're like, why did they choose this guy? It's like, you, you got to understand, did Sean Lowe blow your socks off when you were watching Emily's season? Did Ben Higgins blow your socks off when you were watching Caitlyn's season? Did Chris Soules strike a fancy with you during Andy's season, and you were like, oh, he has to be The Bachelor. It's like, look, they're going to choose who they're going to choose. And I'm sure Clayton's going to get a good edit, but I'm not expecting Clayton to just be this overwhelming, oh, my gosh, no wonder they chose him edit. It's just going to be a guy that they chose, just like all the other guys that they chose. Because everybody that they choose for this franchise, man or woman, to be the next lead, is clearly disliked by X amount of people. Nobody is universally liked in this franchise. Nobody. Not even close. Everyone's got haters. And everyone's got people that are like, why was he chosen? Remember when they picked Colton? How upset people were? Like, how did they pick Colton over Blake? How did they pick Colton over Jason? They were such better choices. This sucks. I'm not watching. I'm just saying, those expecting something over the top like Clayton's going to blow everyone away. It's just not going to happen. Why did they pick him? I don't know. Because they could. <laughs> Whoever they pick, you're going to watch anyway. And he's going to be your bachelor. And so all I'm saying is temper the expectations for the people that were sending tweets out about why did they pick him and I didn't notice anything special about him last night. You're not going to. Just like there wasn't anything special about really the other guys. It's just who they think has a decent story and who they think will do well in that role for the next season. Knowing that whoever they choose, 
there's going to be a faction of the audience that hates the choice, hates it, doesn't understand it. But it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter who they choose because a faction of the audience is going to feel that way. So just think about that when you're watching Clayton this season. The other thing I want to talk about from Tuesday night is the Ryan spreadsheet document thing and uh, the reaction to that. And it, it seemed like the reaction took off on social media yesterday. People were saying, you know, here's the thing. I, I People are reacting to two different things. And I want to I get something perfectly clear here. It all stemmed from what I wrote yesterday. And if you read my column, which I hope a lot of people do, because if you read my column, you wouldn't have been asking some of the questions that were being asked yesterday or some of the opinions that were being given out. Example, the biggest thing yesterday was, for me, when I was recapping the episode and talking about the Ryan situation with the spreadsheets and the documents or whatever, is I was saying... Ryan wasn't being called out just for making a bunch of charts and having spreadsheets. He's being called out and he was wrong because he lied about what he knew about the show. The guy put on an act for Michelle and that he was being dishonest when she confronted him about it. That's why she sent him home. Not because he had a bunch of spreadsheets. It's what those spreadsheets ultimately meant. So see, people seem to be missing the message here. I think the charts are excessive. Yeah. It's not, not something I would do if I went on the show. But maybe the guy is just super organized. That's not why he's being called out and made fun of from the other night. Hell, he even made fun of himself on Instagram yesterday morning for it. So clearly he's fine with it. What I initially wrote yesterday morning was I didn't even believe the charts were all his. I didn't. I was just like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I can't believe someone would put all put in all this work. And so his ex-girlfriend, Brittany, who I've been emailing on and off with for a couple months, she was one of the people that initially came to me when she found out Ryan was on the show and informed me, you know, about their relationship. Um and yesterday or uh, um, about a week ago, when they started running the promo for uh, Tuesday's premiere, they started running a promo that started hyping up some guys not there for the right reasons, and they showed, remember, they they would show the Tasha and Caitlin clip of them saying uh, he's got spreadsheets, or whatever the, whatever the wording was. So they started hyping up that there's a guy there with spreadsheets and, and charts and graphs and whatever. Brittany, his ex, emailed me and said, I bet you that's Ryan. And I was like, why do you think it's him? She's like, I know his writing. I, I can just, I can see him doing something like this. And then it aired and it ended up being Ryan. So I still wrote my column. I didn't go to Brittany last night. I wrote my column or the night before. I, I wrote my column thinking like watching the episode. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. It just doesn't make any sense that somebody did that much work. So I, after I wrote my column, I emailed Brittany. I'm like, I have a feeling he did the handwritten part and they just added in the other stuff to make it seem like he did all of it. She's like, no, he did all of it. This is totally who he is. He's very much into charts and he plans everything out. I was like, oh, okay. 
So I, I went to Brittany just to see if he actually did all the charts, which he did. But that doesn't change the reasoning for why he was eliminated. The guy was eliminated by Michelle because he essentially lied about it and got caught. And again, if you read what I wrote yesterday morning in terms of quote-unquote scandals in the show history, you know, this is way low on the totem pole to me. Like, there's nothing horribly egregious about what Ryan did. I don't care about the fact that he had charts and spreadsheets. I Personally, for me, would I have done it? No. Do I think it's excessive? Yes. But of all the quote-unquote scandals we've had in this franchise, that one isn't even close. It's like, whatever. It's silly. It's stupid. Um... You know, it didn't, you know, it didn't break Michelle down to her core. It was a first night guy that had a silly storyline and they ran with it. And they, it, some guys got to leave, you know, early on the first night. Usually happens. Somebody's got to be the quote unquote villain. And, you know, Ryan was for episode one. I mean, that's really what it was. Is he a villain in the sense of other villains? No. But again, nothing horribly egregious about what he did. The whole thing just seems silly and it was made a bigger deal of than it was. So I don't care the guy had spreadsheets, but that's not why he got eliminated. He got eliminated because he lied about it, and he lied about it, and she caught him in his lie. So wanted to clear that up because it just turned into yesterday when I posted Brittany's email. It seemed like I was, again, getting attacked because I did like, – it's it's just unbelievable. You can't say anything in this franchise anymore without being attacked. I didn't post Britney's email to say this guy's crazy for writing spreadsheets. In my column, I said I found it bizarre. Uh, there are worse things that were said about him online last night than me calling him bizarre. I just thought it was bizarre because it's not something I would do, but... Like I said, I don't know the guy, so maybe he's just super detail-oriented. That wasn't why I was calling him out. I was calling him out because the guy was The Bachelor live on stage in San Jose in February of 2020, and he's telling Michelle he's watched two episodes of the show yet had folders and pages of spreadsheets. So it just, he lied. That's why he got caught. And that's why people are making fun of him, not just because of the spreadsheets. So keep that in mind. And then the final thing was yesterday... As you know, I posted the two-on-one date. Who was on it? I have video from them. And it was Genevieve and Shanae. And um, I revealed to you yesterday that Shanae is the villain this season. And, you know, anytime you say something negative about somebody in this franchise, it turns into, why do you hate them? You're ruining her life. You're already putting a target on her back. Listen. What I do as reality, Steve, is tell you things about the show before it airs. It's what a spoiler is. Teddy got the first impression rose. I spoiled that because in the first episode, you're going to see Clayton giving Teddy a first impression rose. Shanae is the villain. You're going to see when the episodes air that Shanae is the one that is disliked by the cast. And she does things that, within the definition of what a villain is on this show, she is this season's quote-unquote villain. I could also tell you, there's an early season villain, before Shanae. But, 
you will see that within the confines of this show and what we have determined and deemed to be a villain, Shanae is that. And that's all I was saying. And I specifically, I mean, I have to say it now. I have to put the disclaimer out there now. When I say something like this, when I say something negative, especially if it's about a woman on this show, because everybody thinks I hate women and everybody thinks I'm out to ruin people's lives, that that's not what I'm doing here. All I'm telling you is Sinead's the villain. So, you know. Now, I will fill in the things that I've heard later on when I give you more of the spoilers. But it wasn't sort of any, this doesn't mean like everyone just go shit on Sinead and attack her, even though I know people are going to. I mean, it doesn't matter. Once it airs, she's going to get the same hate that the Crystals of the world got, the Chad Johnsons of the world got, the, well, that's not a good example because women villains on this show get way more hate than the men. Name your female villains, name your women villains on this show. And as much as I tell people, just lay off. It's not going to change. Sinead's going to get a ton of hate, unfortunately. It's not going to be from me. You know, while the things I've heard are just like, I just kind of shake my head at I'm just like, okay, well, <laughs> if you do that on this show and knowing this toxic fan base, they're going to come after you. So yeah, they're going to come after her and they're going to write stuff in her, in her captions on her Instagram when she turns it on and these episodes are airing in January, February of next year. And she's back live and on Instagram. She's going to get a bunch of people in her captions saying negative shit about her. Because of the way she acts on the show. It's unfortunate, but this is what the show is now. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to give people a heads up that that's your villain this season. But there also is an early season villain. So, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you all about that when I when I give you the spoilers later. So. Like I said, I'm just putting stuff out there. I'm giving you stuff before the show airs. Just want people to know this isn't an attack on her. It's not me ruining Shanae's life. And it's just a matter of giving you info before it airs, before you see anything. You're going to know a lot of stuff about this season before the first promo airs. You're not going to need to see clips of things to piece stuff together. Maybe some dates here and there. Maybe the international dates because those are tougher to find out. Um, who went on what elimination wise, I think I'll be fine. But for those and who went on what, yeah, maybe the promo will give those away, but yeah, we're looking at, um, it's, it's, there's, there's definitely drama this season. Put it that way. I mean, not that that's a, should be a surprise to anybody. It's drama every season. It's how this show functions, but this season, there's definitely some female drama. And yeah, Shanae's part of it, and one other girl is part of it as well. So I think um, just getting you ready for that, and that's the that's basically the basics of what I wanted to uh, go over before we start this conversation. But I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I'm sure you've read RealityBlurred.com. Andy Dennert has been doing it for 21 years now, so good on him. Always a great conversation with him. He's very uh, insightful. I love the fact that he's a Survivor fan, but he covers it objectively and will call them out for their bullshit at times. Uh, He definitely has some opinions on Big Brother, and I really, really, really enjoyed our conversation on race 
and the Cookout Alliance because I thought he did a great piece on it while the show was still airing, and we kind of go over that in the podcast today. So here we go, podcast number 257. Okay, let's bring him in. Uh, he is the creator of realityblurred.com. He's also a professor at Stetson University, a multi-time guest on this podcast. He's back again. It's Andy Denner. Andy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks so much for having me back uh, third or whatever. I've lost count, but I appreciate it. Yeah, it's either three or four. Uh, yeah. I, know, I know it's at least two, so I think this is three or four. Um, I wanted to jump in immediately with something that um, – you came out with, I believe it was today. I'm, it might, I think it's today. Um, uh, let me hold on. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, I should have done this. I should have looked at the date. I'm pretty sure it's today, unless it was late last night. Um, the uh, yeah, the 18th. Okay, so it was today, and that's the IATSE situation, which is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. I'll be honest. I had no idea what this was or what the issue was until last week when someone had emailed it to me for my reader emails. I had no idea, not, knew nothing about it, and essentially what it is is that um, their contract was up, a new one hadn't been signed, and at the end of last week, uh, if it hadn't been signed by this past weekend, thousands of workers in the you know TV and film industry were going to go on strike. Uh, um, this past weekend, an agreement was reached. Over the weekend, prevented them uh, prevented that from happening. But um, the rumblings are they aren't really thrilled with the agreement. Nothing's been signed yet, and a strike could still happen. You wrote a piece on this today. Um, what is your take on what you've read in this contract that maybe I don't know the average TV watching fan has no clue about, and any of the stories that you may know personally of someone that's told you behind the scenes, if if you have any. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think I'm guilty of um, not paying much attention either, um, and just in part because I remember there was a sort of a push to unionize various reality TV crew members maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And I sort of don't think I've really thought about it since then. Um, and I won't pretend to be an expert because there's like multiple contracts and different categorizations of union members. But the basic idea for reality TV is that there's certain categories of employees, like um, whether it's like a line producer or just a quote unquote producer that are these kind of vague and amorphously defined roles that so they're not like editors, which would be covered under a separate union, for example. Um, and their working conditions just basically suck on all kinds of levels and the amount of money they get paid um, to. And what's interesting is that since this sort of push to potentially strike or, you know, at least, um, you know, re renegotiate their contracts, uh, some people inside reality TV have been posting on Instagram stories uh, anonymously um, but calling out specific production companies and TV shows just for their terrible conditions. And, and by conditions, I mean like pretty low pay, like, you know, thousand dollars a week. And what a week is, is also kind of up for contention. Like, you know, they might say, well, we're paying you for a week. That's five days, but then they expect people to work through the weekend or this new, like the new contract language, for example, allows for what's called a 10 hour turnover time, which means that you have 10 hours between shifts, which if you think about it, that means a 14 hour workday and then 10 hours to spend time with your family, eat a couple meals, take a shower, sleep. Like that is not a lot of time. Um, and I recognize that like for a lot of people that might be their lives, you know, whether they're working in an Amazon warehouse or a Target or somewhere else. Uh, but also these are multi-million dollar productions making millions and millions of dollars for TV networks. 
and getting millions and millions of dollars from advertisers. And so for them to basically screw over the people who are in really responsible for the bulk of the work is pretty crazy in, in my estimation. I didn't look into what the new contract that had that they have agreed on. I didn't look into everything. I read basically the stories that most people put out there, variety and stuff like that. Um is it my understanding that most people that work in crews on reality television, they're all independent contractors. They just go from job to job and like you said, there is no union between them and uh the one thing that I didn't notice and maybe there is healthcare benefits are not included when you're a reality show crew member. You have to basically get your own private health insurance. Is that correct? I think so, but I think that that also depends upon the kind of categorization of your job and also the specific union contract. And again, there's like three sort of or multiple ones up right now for consideration. But basically, you're right. They're freelancers, and which mean which means like they go from job to job. And if you don't have a next job coming, then you don't have money for rent or to pay your health insurance if you have health insurance. Um, and what's that's also you know as a the, the journalist part of me, um, not, not the TV critic side, but the journalist part that sort of wants to find out as much information as I can. I've often wanted to write about these kinds of things, but it's extremely hard. Like even people I know well inside um, TV productions now or who I've met on set or whatever, they're really reluctant to have these conversations because, um, or at least on the record or even on background where I wouldn't identify them. Um, and that's simply because it's too risky and it's like, this is their livelihood. This is their job. And they're, you know, frankly, like, I don't want to say scared, but rightfully, I think, you know, just cautious about risking, risking that. So it's really a tenuous situation and really unfortunate again, that like, you know, these massive corporations can't support the people who are literally doing the work um, and just, you know, going from job to job. And, you know, by the way, most production companies, like we see the sort of production company logo or whatever, often there's like no real, there's like not that many employees there. Maybe it's like the two or three executive producers or a couple executives, but most of the people who make their shows, even for like some of the biggest shows on TV are all freelancers and just hired from job to job. Um, you know, some shows like Survivor, The Bachelor, whatever, keep the same crews and producers from year to year, season to season. Um, but not all do. Yeah, no, it, it's I've heard stories over the years as well about working conditions. And the biggest thing was overtime. And they expect you to, you know, an eight, an eight hour day is very rare when it comes to these shows. You are usually working 10, 12, 14 hour days long into the mornings and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, it's one of these things where, yes, an agreement was reached this weekend, but as the stories say, there's so much language in there. It's tough to say if it will get signed and if they will approve it or if there's still time to, you know, change the wording on it to make it a, a little bit better for them. I mean, what do you think ultimately happens? Do you think a strike does happen or do you think a, a happy medium will be reached here? I mean, it's a good question because I think, you know, the the strike authorization was like overwhelming, like 98% of people voted yes and 90% of them actually voted in the first place. So that's like just, you know, nothing happens in America anymore where we agree that much. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, if the if the union members are really pissed about what their leadership did in terms of negotiating this contract. Um, I think, you know, if they turn it down, then they're in a position of not having a new contract for next year. And that's, that becomes a problem then too, because now you don't have anyone to make TV shows. So even if it's not a formal strike, like we're, you know, 
they need to renegotiate those contracts. And yeah, you know, some of the benefits that like the that IATSE announced is they they said things like, oh, we're going to get MLK day off now. Um, they'll give uh, retroactive wage increases of three percent annually, um, and then like they're increasing the penalties if you don't get your meal breaks, which is like funny. It's like, like maybe you won't get fed, but at least you'll get a little money. But like, also like imagine doing a job where you're working 24 seven on a reality show set and you don't get to eat. Like that's, that's not, that's not good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy to think of. And like I said, it was brought to my attention last week. And as you know, covering the bachelor and the bachelor is currently, um, in production filming, um, their you know their season that's going to air right after the new year and you know i was thinking of it i'm like okay what if this did happen with the bachelor and let's just say the strike went on a week or two weeks that would really throw a wrench into things with this show because they are first off they're not in la right now so they're out of they're out of la they're about to be out of the country and if this would have came down out of, you know, well, they are, they are out of the country right now, but they're about to be farther out of the country. If this would have came down, this isn't something where you just keep that whole cast cooped up in a hotel for a week because you just have no idea when it's ending. And I just I, I was thinking like this would derail the whole bachelor season if this were to take place. I don't see you couldn't send the women home and say, we'll bring you back and we'll pick up where we left off because then every woman would go online they would read everything that's been going on like there's it would be a really weird thing to navigate and um you know it looks like they're not gonna have to go through that but i guess we we really don't know for sure yeah for sure and and i think you know the the last major strike to affect hollywood was the writer's strike uh yeah. 10 or 12 years ago and, and that only that lasted 100 days and that was um that's considerable obviously three months but um it, People are saying that, relatively speaking, in terms of the positions that union was in then and what they were negotiating for, like that IATSE has a stronger position and they have more membership backing of a strike. So it's easy to see that this could go on longer than that. But you're right. Even if it happens for, you know, there's just like a not a clear sense of how long that would take. And I wonder if like we would be back in a situation like we were at the beginning of COVID where like Amazing Race, you know, you know, pulled out in the middle of the season and they just... Um, last month, you know, started filming again and basically reset. Um, and they had to, you know, they lost um, some of their cast members. Um, it's not exactly clear how many, but you you can't just like pick up and start over because people have lives to get back to. And people, you know, if they've taken time off work, they can't just suddenly extend that by another three months because your production, you know, was delayed. Yeah, I'm going to certainly follow it now and see if this does get signed and what changes are made. And um, it's it's definitely interesting because it's just not something that the average fan, the average fan, you know, who knows if the average fan really is listening uh, attentively to these first 10 minutes between me and you. Cause they're just like, I just want to watch my show. You know, I just want to watch my show. Please don't go on strike. I just want to watch my show, you know? And I, to- I totally get that yeah. because, and it's and like, I wrote about in my piece, like, it's like, I, you know, I've read all these horror stories about Amazon warehouses and the, the conditions people are in and the demands on their job. And like the fact that Amazon is a company actually likes the fact that there's turnover in their warehouse because then people don't get paid more. And they also, you know, just get fresh people in all the time. So they don't really have any incentive to keep people around. And yet I still go on Amazon and order things for like, Oh, I can get the same day delivery. Like, well, that's amazing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think about the human beings on the other end of that. And I think that's part of, you know, just our system right now is that we don't think about the people who make stuff and um, 
I'll say, you know, like, I'm, I'm sure we can, we'll maybe talk about Survivor later, but like one thing I did appreciate about this season of Survivor and the quote unquote changes they made was, you know, in the opening episode, there was a lot of shots of the crew and it's something that you just never even think about. Even as someone who's been on set, like I know how many people are standing around a challenge. It's like 50 or a hundred people behind the scenes. And I, t- you totally forget about that because the camera isn't showing them. And so you forget that there's all these people required to make this happen. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, we're definitely going to get into, get into that uh, towards the end of this podcast, but I wanted to, um, it's, it's an interesting take. If anyone's interested in reading about it, it's kind of all over. Uh, Just Google uh, IATSE, the international Alliance of theatrical stage employees and read any story about it. And um, you know, like, and on your site on realityblur.com, you provide links to an Instagram account that basically has anonymous accounts from people who have worked for these production companies relaying their stories and how bad some of them are and how bad they're treated. And like you said, not eating, not sleeping, working 14 hour days. I mean, you, you, you just, when you're watching TV, you just don't think about that stuff. I mean, it, and there's nothing wrong with you if you don't think about that stuff. Most people don't. Um, it just, but now that it's out there and there, a strike is possible, it is, it is interesting to look at at least and be like, wow, I had no idea this was going on. You know, interesting to learn about that stuff. Um, The next thing I wanted to talk about with you was big brother. And I know that you're a fan you've watched. Have you watched every season or most? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Some on and off. Like I have stopped maybe watching every single moment of every season, but I have definitely followed it for its entire life. Um, And yeah, so I don't, and I certainly don't watch the live feeds anymore because I just had to stop myself. It's just (laughs) too much. Um, So I'm a, I'm a late comer to big brother. I only started in season 21. So I've only watched three seasons, Um, 21, uh, 22, the all-star season, and then and then this one. I did watch – the first seasons I actually watched were actually the celebrity ones because I knew there was way less dedication to watching those. It was only, you know, <laughs> right. two and two and a half weeks. So yeah. I was like, okay, that was my first introduction to the show. But full seasons, watched every episode of 21, 22, and 23. So I'm still, I'm still new to this. Um, but just being – doing what I do and reading entertainment sites all the time and reading your sites all the time, I'm very well aware – of the problems that Big Brother has had uh, over the years with homophobia, racism, all this stuff that has been brought to light by you and many others. Um, You wrote something uh, this season that I thought was one of the best, because I got asked about it as well on on my site, and I was just like, I don't think this is a big deal. This is not racist. Big deal in that the cookout alliance uh, between the six uh, black members this past season. You wrote something I thought was so on point and so exactly what I wanted to say, but I couldn't word it like you did. I thought it was great, and I wanted to reread it to people right now. You said, and this is one of the paragraphs when you were writing about the Cookout Alliance, saying that the cookout is not racist. Black people working together is not racist. It is not racism for players to align in a reality TV competition to ensure one of them wins. That's the goal of the alliance, after all. And they did not align together with the goal of taking out white people Instead, they united to elevate each other and ensure one of them won. And that was kind of the way I answered it, not as eloquently as you did, but that was my thing was like when people came to me and said, you know, don't you think this is a little racist that a black? I'm like, but they're not voting out the white people because they don't like them because they're white. They're right. They're they're an alliance. They're they're vote. They're basically for each other. I don't see why people were making such a huge deal out of this. And I thought the cookout alliance, especially and I was getting this while the game was still going on. Now that we watch it play out, and it played out exactly how they wanted to, and they got to six, 
uh, of them, uh, an alliance of six that was formed on day one in a in a cast that had 16 people. So when they formed their alliance, they didn't even have the majority. Um, right. They could have easily been picked off if other people wanted to, uh, you know, vote them out. So I thought it was – I don't have enough history on this show, but number one, just off the top of my head and whatever what I read, is this the best alliance – this show has ever had. And when I watched it go through and I watched how happy they were and how proud they were to do what they did, even at the end when they were voting out their friends, they said, you know, we basically had to stick to the cause here. We wanted one of us to win. I don't see anything wrong with that. I thought it was great. I really did. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely would say that it, I think factually this is the most successful alliance in big brother history period mm-hmm. because no other alliance has ever done what they set out to do and then actually did it. Like it always falls apart. It always changes. And of course that's part of the fun of the show is like watching what happens when that happens. And for me, that was the first thing I thought, you know, big brother fans should be celebrating this as being like, Holy shit, this is finally happening and it's working and will it fall apart? And it almost did fall apart sometimes. And they didn't all necessarily like each other, um, which was one of the great things about having a more diverse house for, you know, like there's not one black person to represent all black people, which is completely, unfair um and now you have multiple people with different personalities and different backgrounds and some of them are annoying and some of them are not and some of them are you know you root for them and some of them you root against um and that's that's the best kind of alliance on on a reality tv show so yeah i think they were i think they did an amazing job and i think you know it's just really sad on some level um it's sad and also i think racist to be honest when people some fans looked at this alliance of black people succeeding and then for some reason they read that as an attack on white people like just the actual success of black people was the problem because as you said they weren't trying to take out white people they never said any such thing there was no like and if they had i would have called that out in the same way that i had called out in the past um when you know like there's been so many people on big brother who've been explicitly or implicitly racist and made decisions based on that or at least the way that they talk about people that they're aligned against um is horrifying um and then you know then there's the whole question too like like racism doesn't really work like people who are not in positions of power in our culture and who are not oppressed do not like are not able to be racist in this like that is not how racism works like white people you know have oppressed black people for hundreds and um thousands of years in you know i'm not gonna try to my my history here is bad but like you get the idea that like you can't like there's no such thing as the reverse um like reverse racism is not a thing so yeah i think you know and we again just look at it it's an alliance of um people who are succeeding and and when white people have a problem with that success i think that's when it's time to like look internally and be like you know, what am I really mad at here? What am I just not used to maybe from this show? Um, Because everyone knows Big Brother has not given us good examples of, um, you know, people of color um, succeeding in the past just because they haven't given us a very diverse cast um, and they've given us a lot of racist white people, to be honest. Yeah, and, you know, the biggest thing that I got from people in the Cookout Alliance was, was, it was actually somewhat humorous. They're reaction to why they didn't like the cookout was oh well if 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 white people did this and went after black people in the house they'd be crucified for it and they'd be called racist and i'm like 
You mean the first twenty three seasons of this show where white <laughs> where it was all white alliances for the most part, where white dominated alliances? Like that's what the show has been. And like I said, I've only watched three seasons, but I'm well aware that they've never had a black winner, which means that I'm guessing a black person really was never in a major power alliance that this show ever had, or else they would have at least uh, done better. And as we know, um, that people that have listened to this podcast, uh, especially when we had Stephen Fish back on a couple weeks ago, and even before that with other podcast guests, if you don't know by now, um, I guess I don't know what the overall uh, company is. That in- Is it CBS or is it Paramount that has installed for all the reality shows? All the cast have to be 50% BIPOC uh, now. And so right. now Big Brother is you're going to see this more in the future, um, I would think. Um, you know, Survivor has a very diverse cast this season, and it's because there is now essentially, I, I know people love this word right now, mandate of, <laughs> of reality shows have to cast, have 50% um, cast be BIPOC. And um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting moving forward to seeing how these other shows work like that. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll never see an alliance like this in history, if only because once it happens, then people are on the lookout for it happening again. Yeah, um, that's a that's a reality TV thing. But yeah, like to go um, 21 years until the first black person has won the show, that indicates to me that there's something structurally wrong. Um, and part of that is, like you said, the casting. And I, I think a lot of this goes onto the production, not just because of their failure to deal with racism and um, bigoted cast members in the past, um, but also just their structural choices. Like, I think it, it was probably the first season that you watched, but the very first episode, they had this dumb, dumb twist where they're like, pick three people to evict right now. And so, like, of course, like the white guy gets that power and he picks, you know, like, um the only black woman in the house and like he like so it's like suddenly like we're picking the the people who stand out because they're different yeah. and that's what happens when you can't when you have a twist like that and you're, you're making asking people to make snap snap judgments like implicit racism comes into play and um implicit biases and and even just you know, like, it's like, well, I don't, I don't connect with that person. Well, why don't you like, well, it's because I don't have any friends like that person or, you know, whatever. Those are excuses. Um, but anyway, the, the point is that it's structurally broken. Um, and I think the casting change was one major change that needed to happen. I also just think that Big Brother and, and the CBS shows that have this mandate, I think that's a good first step. But what really needs to happen is people behind the scenes need to change um, because it was that same season that I was just referencing where there was a cast member, um, I think, or maybe a different season. I get them all confused in my head um, yeah. where a cast member named Kemi um, was basically told by a producer in a confessional diary to um, she was a black woman and the producer told her to act and talk in a more stereotypical way in her confessional interviews and of course, CBS just said, oh, that's one bad producer. That's one bad apple, which is always the excuse in these situations. But really, that's what happens when you have, you know, not you have a bunch of white people producing a show and they've they don't know how to like they just don't you know know what they're doing ultimately in these situations. Um, so a lot of that change needs to come behind the scenes in addition to that very important change in front of the camera. Yeah. And that was the same season uh, that you were talking about, mm-hmm. the one where um Jackson won the first competition. Yep, put, yep, put three it. people up. Yeah, and then we all know what happened at the end of that season when he won and stuff that came out about him and stuff like that. Yeah, it was just not not a great season for them. Uh, 
whatsoever. whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I, th- and I think it's interesting, and you probably know the answer to this question since I don't, and I've only watched three seasons. We all know that um, Xavier winning was the first black winner in Big Brother history. Had a black person ever finished second on this show? Any top four? I mean, it's almost like this is very similar to Bachelor World, where we didn't have a black person make the final four in for thirty five seasons, whatever it was. Um, it's almost like that. We're 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 black people even getting far on this show. Certainly not number two, right? Did anybody finish second? You know, to be honest, like I would have to look. Like my brain is not good at memorizing those kinds of details. I yeah. think maybe I would say maybe once, maybe the, like the final three. Um, also, the final three part is like the way Big Brother works. They basically have one of the challenges is essentially random, so that it makes it. I think kind of throws an extra curveball into that level. Um, we did have. You know, early in the show's history in season four, there was um, an, uh, a woman of Asian descent, uh, June Song, who won the show. So that was but, but like so in other words, that there's, you know, that example. But again, no black winners um, in all that time. By the way, also interesting, I think that it was a black man who won and it was a black woman, Tiffany, who came up with this alliance. And basically um, it was her brainchild. She was the one who you know, kind of held it together in, in many ways, especially at the beginning. Um, and it makes sense on a reality show where, you know, the person who's responsible for your alliance succeeding, it might be the first person you pick off because you're worried that you're going to lose to her. Um, but it's also kind of, you know, um, like the, I think Survivor just over the last few years has um, given uh, or has the, the winner has been a man year after year after year. And I think there's a lot of um, like gender related stuff that, that folds into this too. And just in terms of like who we see as a winner. Um, so, and ultimately that's what makes all this kind of interesting to talk about too, is to look at those trends. And, you know, I think one, you know, one situation or one example is one example, but when you look at a pattern over time, that's really when you start to like, I start to, you know, raise my eyebrows and think what's going on here. If like, we're seeing this season after season after season, there's something wrong. You see it once. It's like, okay, maybe that's, that's not great. And that's a problem. But like, is, but when you see something repeat, that's when I think all of us as, as reality TV show fans should start asking questions at the very least. And as reality TV show fans, when we watch these shows, usually we watch it and we get a lot of one dimensional characters because that's the way that it is. They've got hours and hours of footage, but we only get, you know, one hour a week, sometimes two hours a week. This show is three hours a week, but in saying that, um, and I don't know all the past winners, I've, I've heard the names, but I don't know their personality, how they acted on the show, how they came across on the show, so I don't really have a lot to compare it to. But Xavier winning this season, I'm like, this guy is the epitome of, like, what a great representation and what a great winner. Like, the guy just came across so well on TV, never seemed to piss anybody off wasn't rude seemed to care about everybody in the house even when he's voting people out that were his friends they didn't you know bitch him out for it except maybe kylan at the end a little bit but that kylan yeah i, would, I think kylan was off his rocker sometimes uh, on a couple <laughs> yes. things but for sure i mean what i just i was so impressed with xavier as a winner and i'm like i'm glad this guy won i'm glad he is the the representation for first black winner in the show history because i don't think this guy did a thing wrong and was so likable. Yeah. And I, what's interesting too, about big brother in terms of thinking about like the, you know, a winner or the edit that they get 
is that a show like Survivor or The Bachelor already knows how the show is going to end yeah. before post-production starts. So they can kind of craft a story over, you know, 10 or 13 episodes or whatever. Um, but Big Brother is because it's essentially live doesn't do that. So their, their TV show episodes certainly are creating a character and certainly are, you know, softening edges like the aforementioned um, episodes of racism and bigotry were often just edited out of the telecast. So you would never know that your quote unquote favorite was somebody who said or done some horrible things. Um, and this season, I think, you know, I don't, I did not watch um, enough episodes to have a good sense of the character that they put forth for Xavier. But I think the people who really know best are the people who watch the live feeds on big brother. Yeah. And that's what's most interesting about the show to me is that um, we basically get this like, almost uncensored relatively constant stream of information and so you can it's really interesting to see like what happens in real life versus what they then condense for the show like we don't get that insight for any other reality tv show because we don't get access to the raw footage in the same way so um yeah like i would be interested to see what live feed watchers thought about xavier versus the way the the tv show portrayed him but obviously if the jury voted for him unanimously uh there's a reason for that too. Like that they at least respect him uh, more than the other person at the very least. And, and probably even more than that. I can't remember if I was talking about this with somebody on the podcast or just in my regular life, but I remember having this conversation as we were approaching final six. And I said, look, if the cookout, you know, accomplishes what they set out to do and gets to the final six, you know, the final six are three women and three men. It's Derek F it's Xavier and it's Kylan versus Tiffany Aza and um uh who am I um who am I blanking on Chata that was yeah she was six yeah so I said you know the biggest I said the biggest thing that's going to determine this season is going to be who wins head of household at final six because if it's one of the guys they're going to pick off the women and if it's one of the women they're picking off the guys and it's basically exactly what happened um you know the uh, Xavier won head of household at final six I believe and it was Tiffany because he knew that she was the strongest left on the other side and the guys were going to stick together. And that's essentially ended up what happening. And, um, you know, it just, it really worked out and it was just amazing that, um, like I said, when they first got together on day one, they didn't have the majority. There were 16 people in that house. There was only six of them. Uh, so they could have been taken out by other people. If people saw this coming or, you know, I know they had their other game on the side. I forget the the nickname they gave it, where they each had an, an ally. Um, right, a partner, yeah. Yeah, so I just don't remember if that started right away. It seemed like that came about <clears throat> a little bit later, but maybe it did start right away. But, yeah, I think yeah. it was just it was just a great season to watch, I thought. very A lot of likable people on this season. There wasn't, from what I know, a ton of the issues, the problematic issues we've had in the past on – on live feeds. I know there was something said here and there. There was a comment made by Whitney early on, I believe about, you know, that got misconstrued apparently. I don't know, but um, it seems like this was a, a well-liked cast. And I think that's what I want to watch when I watch this show is yes, I know there's backstabbing and yes, I know there's going to be lying on this show. It's impossible not to sit on a show and especially this show where you can't go anywhere and you're literally just in the same house all day, not to <laughs> right. flat out lie to somebody's face. It's going to happen, but do it by doing, but being able to do it with grace versus being a dick about it or something. Exactly. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I, I do think this was 
I think it will go down as one of the better seasons, um, especially the more modern seasons. Like, um, I think I still have a lot of affections for for some of the early seasons because of, you know, in part because the game was new. Um, but for sure, like, just at the very least, because six people have never gone from the very first you know, week or two of the game and, and all the way to the final six. Uh, it's a hell of an accomplishment. And, and again, I hope I'll, I hope the Big Brother fans who were uh, not thrilled with that um, can can sort of step back and recognize what is happening there and, and just how awesome it was. Yeah. And, you know, you, you briefly brought it up when we were first talking about the cookout, about it's really curious to see now going forward, now that this has been established, going forward, if you are a contestant on that show, it has to be in the back of your head. Like, what if the black people and the black contestants are aligning this season again? What if they're creating the cookout too? But now, you know, if you were, let's just say a future season, there's six to eight uh, black contestants that want to do the same thing that this cookout. It's like you have to put on an even better act. You, you would have to basically create arguments and create fights to make the other people in the house think, no, we don't have this alliance going on. But I guess, you know, voting might change that. Might, they, they might see the act. But voting is what it ultimately comes down to. And, yeah, you wonder if this is going to be something that um, another group of people of color try. And um, it's I, I'd be really curious. I'm, I'm so looking forward now to next season because I want to see the effect that the cookout has on future seasons. Yeah, and I would just say that I, I would really hope that, um, you know, and I think I might be asking a lot of, of future Big Brother players, but um, that if that if they're in the house and suspicious of people forming an alliance, that is a perfectly legitimate part of Big Brother. Um, and people forming an alliance like the cookout makes sense. But if they're suspicious just of the black players because they might align together, that seems equally problematic to me because we've certainly seen a bunch of white players align together before. And so, you know, I hope that the suspicion doesn't align along, um, you know, like race or other categories yeah. just because this particular alliance happened to be um, all black people and and that's what succeeded. So um, I'm hopeful that, you know, the, it will be like ultimately remembered as a successful alliance and then a successful alliance that produced the first black winner. Um, that I think is, uh, you know, like what I, I, I think is just a tremendous accomplishment. Yeah. And, and not an alliance, as we said earlier, not an alliance that took out all the white people because they exactly. didn't want it was, it was black people coming together and saying, we need this to happen for us. And I mean, just the fact I remember when they got to the final six, how emotional they were that they, that they just accomplished that goal. And now they're like, okay, now we can, you know, start going after each other. But this was a, this was a huge deal. I, I thought it was a very seminal moment in reality TV history. I mean, just to see that. And this is coming from someone that has watched three seasons of big brother. I was happy that this happened and I was glad I was like, and, I was, and like I said, they were all likable to me. I, I, every single one of them. They, I, you know, I know some some people might have had an issue with Tiffany's brashness and maybe her cockiness, but I didn't. It never bothered me. I was just like, I think she's playing a great game, and uh, and that's that, you know, that's also the you know, I think that's also the the double standard that women on reality TV shows have to have to deal with, which is the you know, you play aggressively and sharply, and you say some some things and if you're a man that's amazing strategy and you're a terrific player and if you're a woman like you are aggressive and abrasive and, and annoying for doing that so um yeah that's and that's something that like you know female winners have had to contend with and um i always come back to survivor just because that's my favorite show but like even the host of the show like won't give 
um, women the same amount of credit that he gives men for winning. And he'll like, which is, which has been super frustrating in the past. And and I, um, I feel bad for Tiffany on, on that level in terms of getting that kind of criticism, but also just because, you know, like thankfully she won the America's favorite uh, money and, and got some acknowledgement there, but really this was her brainchild. And, and I, I hope, you know, hope she can be proud of that, even though she didn't get to win the, the $750,000. Yeah. Uh, she played a great game. And like I said, if, if she or any of the other two women would have won the, head of household challenge when it was down to the final six, a woman would have won this season because they would have just taken out the guys. And I guarantee Xavier would have finished sixth. I know. I know that. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, it's hindsight is 2020, but it it definitely looks like the women would have uh, picked off the guys at that point. So um, I do want to transition into uh, survivor and (laughs) Oh boy, there's a lot to digest here. (laughs) And, and only because, you know, I, I went over this with Stephen Fishback two weeks ago, but um, you are a huge fan, but also one of the show's biggest critics. Um, your recaps of Survivor on a weekly basis are usually calling out the things that you don't like about this show, even though you and I, are, you know, and a lot of people are, are definitely fans, but you like to call them out for behaviors, things that they do, things that they say, um, and and I have no problem with that. And so the first thing I want to bring up with you is what we saw in the premiere episode. And, and I want to get your take on, I know you wrote about it, but to share it with everyone else, this idea of come on in guys. Um, I talked about this and I just, you know, it's not for me to say, I mean, I, for me, I never even thought twice about that line for 40 seasons. It never crossed my mind. Um, I have no problem with come on in guys, the, the guys being eliminated from that sentence. It was the way they went about it that, confused me and it didn't really make a lot of sense because when we hear Jeff say after the fact I was going to get rid of this anyway it's just like okay then why then why didn't why you did, yeah <laughs> I was so confused on that what was your first off were you bothered by it? I mean did any of that bother you did did you feel like the contestants were put under pressure uh, to answer that on the spot since they were literally just brought on the island and all of a sudden he throws this you know <laughs> this thing at them I'm like whoa Jeff we're just happy to be here now you want us to change an iconic line in the show's history what did you think it make of that whole matter yeah I mean it's a total mess and I think you know we could have a six episode series like <laughs> you know come on in guys the the podcast just because it's and like I, I will say that yes I'm I'm very critical of Survivor but that's only because I hold it to a very high standard because it means so much to me as a show and I think it has been so great in the past and so when it stumbles or when it changes direction you know, I want to try to write that ship and and bring it back to where it was, at least in my mind as a fan. I I feel like, you know, that's like a like a good sports fan. I'm gonna be really pissed at my team when they're uh, not doing well, and I'll celebrate them when they are doing well. So, and one of the things I've certainly called out the show for is its sexism, as we just mentioned, or as I mentioned a minute, a minute ago. You know, Probst is like notoriously like during reunions will like bypass a, a, a woman who has won the show to talk to all the men that he likes. Um, as bros and that's just immensely frustrating and that's just one of many examples over the years of the sexism that we've seen from him as a host so i will say that like you know i i think that language matters i do think guys is not inclusive it is literally referring to men and, and even if women and other people feel still included in that or feel like it's become generic i ultimately think it's 
not that's just the word at that at the same point that is like literally the last problem survivor had like yeah. two years ago they like filmed someone sexually assaulting and harassing women repeatedly and did nothing about it and didn't even have a rule against it and it's, so it's like that show has so many problems and this is the last one so I I was surprised that they made, like, if you're going to talk about your own fixing your problems, start the show with, hey, this is our first season. And it is. Season 41 is their first season with a rule against no sexual assault allowed, no non-consensual touching allowed. Like, talk about that. Like, because it's your biggest F up. Talk about how you fix that. And so for probes to go this direction feels completely just inane to me and also just how he has no ability to recognize his own faults um, in this particular area. Um, and then, like you said, the way it was handled was so, so bizarre because he says, like, they just started the game. They haven't been allowed to talk to each other. They've been quarantining in Fiji for two weeks. And he basically says, like, who is going to go against me, the host of the show, and 21 years of tradition and speak up in front of all the other players who are about to maybe vote you out for some arbitrary reason because they don't even know you yet? Who wants to just argue that Survivor should tear down this tradition that no one has thought of until this moment. Like that's just a dumb thing to do. And he didn't even recognize his own power in that situation. Um, and then like, you know, one person speaks up at least according to the edit who happens to be um, a white queer woman. And she's like, I don't care about it. And it's like, well, great. She doesn't care, but like, that's not a, that's not a, a vote. Like that's not a poll. It's yeah. like, it's, it's nothing legitimate. And then, you know, like you said, and then a challenge later, they come back and another contestant who also happens to be, happens to be a gay man says, you know, I actually am bothered by it. So then Probst is like, oh, I am too. Let's let's throw it out. Like, now he seems like he has no principles, no... He just feels like a completely empty shell and completely incapable of having, like, a stance about something, like, which is just completely annoying. So he's now pissed off everyone. Like, the people who are mad that come on in guys is going, um, even though I'm sure they wouldn't have missed it if it just disappeared. Um, he's pissed them off. He's pissed me off for like, and then he's also wasted a bunch of time in the premiere, like with these two scenes that were totally unnecessary. Um, and I just don't understand, like, again, if he had just said, come on in, literally maybe someone would have noticed on Twitter. Maybe there would have been some conversation in like survivor communities on Reddit about it. Um, but I don't think it would have become a thing. And it became a thing because he decided to try to like show how amazing he is uh, as a producer and showrunner. And instead he showed how just really bad at this he can be sometimes. Yeah. It just seemed like this is easily something where if he just said in the first episode, come on in, definitely diehards of the show would have been like, Hey, wait a second. And then maybe by the second or third episode, when he kept saying, come on in, they would have said, okay, why is he not saying come on in guys anymore? And then Probst, like I mentioned with Steven, he easily could have addressed this on Twitter or in his weekly column with uh, Dalton at, at EW, just said, you know what, because Dalton would have brought that up to him in a heartbeat and said, hey, I noticed you haven't been saying this. Why? And he could have answered right. it there, and that would be, be done with it. Why spend three to four minutes of television time when they always talk about how, especially this show, every minute of of editing is is so precious, hence the reason we don't even get intros. Remember back in the day... When this show started, we would see a slow-mo to two or three seconds of all 16 to 18, sometimes 20 contestants. But they cut that out for time because they want to spend more time on the show. And now yeah. they spend three to four minutes on this, which just seemed like such a something that could have been done without drawing so much attention to it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, it, like, and I, I am 100% with you right there. Like, it's such a waste of time. And like, you, you know, they cut out the slow-mo intros of contestants in the past seasons. And this season, they cut out the theme song. So we don't even get like <laughs> that. Inter- and like, we just get a quick shot of a logo and that's it. And it's like, you can't take 30 seconds for an intro because you're so strapped for time, but you can like be so self-indulgent for so long. Um, like, please give me a break. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one thing, uh, that got brought up. Um, the positive or one of the positives that you brought up and, and I certainly loved it and it's amazing that it did take 40 seasons, but the aerial shots where we actually saw the crew, uh, in the premiere and I think we've seen it a couple times in, in future episodes where, again, the average viewer, when you're watching the show, you're just not thinking about how many people it takes to put something like this together. And I thought that was so cool in the premiere to do that, acknowledge it, um, see the crew members. And I thought it was a, it was a, it was a great thing to add, but it, again, was just like, it was amazing that because when I saw it, I knew I hadn't seen that before. And I'm like, why in 40 seasons did we never get a wide shot of the crew? Anytime we get an aerial shot, it's just of, you know, the challenge taking place, the immunity challenge taking place, the reward challenge taking place with no camera crews around. It was just, I, I thought it was a great addition, but it's also like, what took you so long? Right. And, you know, like, and what you just described is when you normally see those aerial shots from it's, the It's not even there. It's right, yeah, like the, the show goes the show goes to great great lengths. Like when I was on location um for three back-to-back seasons, like the call sheets like we would go to a challenge and then like the next day, maybe later in the day, generally the next day or the day after, there would be like the dream team, the people who are like PAs who test all the challenges, they would be called to wardrobe, every one of them would get into the same outfit as another as a as a contestant who's on the show. Mm-hmm. Um and then they would be taken to the challenge location and then they would like replay the challenge while being filmed from above or at least replay pivotal moments they even have someone standing in as jeff so and and they do that because if they were to show you a real overhead shot you would see you know 50 to 100 people plus all these cameras plus all this equipment everywhere and so they've really gone to great lengths to to kind of preserve that um illusion which i can appreciate like that's good craft and storytelling and they want us to think you know that everyone's out here alone not that they're surrounded by producers and cameras even though of course they are. Um, but it's, I, yeah, I'm glad they showed it. I'm also glad to be honest that every episode since then, we haven't kept getting that over and over and over again. Like I'm okay. It's like, okay, here's an acknowledgement. Maybe give me one or two more of those this season, but also I'm okay. Sort of like living in that illusion um, on an average basis. Cause I think, again, it could become one of those self-indulgent time-wasting things where it's like, look at how fancy we are. Let's show our crews more. But like, well, give me my theme song back and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really disappointed in in the uh, theme song. And as I told Stephen, the biggest thing for me this season, and it may be a, it may be a nostalgia thing for me, was I I and I and I get that this was the first time we you know the, they had taken two years off or a year and a half off because of the pandemic, and Survivor was finally back in our lives. I was just so disappointed that we didn't get for the first time in 40 seasons, Prope saying, you know, uh. 39 days, yeah. 30, you know, 39 days, 16 yeah. people, one survivor. One survivor, yeah. We, we know that it's, we know that this season is only 26 days and maybe that's why they didn't do it. But, you know, I've seen that three minute, three and a half minute YouTube video of all 40 seasons of probes doing it. And it still gives me chills to watch that. I think it's just such a cool way to open the show. 
And I was just bummed that we didn't get that this season because he had to show us him walking through the jungle, explaining the game to us. You know, maybe it was because of the 26-day thing, and it, it takes away from it because that'll be the first time it hasn't been 39 days or the, you know, the, uh, the Australia, I think, was 40 days or whatever. But, I, you know, 42 days. I don't know. Did you have a problem with that? Were, were you bummed that we couldn't get the, you know, 30, 26 day? Why not say 26 days, 16 people, one survivor or no? Did it not bother you? Yeah, I, it definitely bothers me. Like, I am. All, I will also say that I recognize that I'm perhaps somebody who's, like, super nostalgic. Like, I still miss, in the finale episode, what they called rites of passage, where all the finalists would walk by all the torches of people who got eliminated. Yeah. And then they'd, like, you'd hear a clip from them. And, like, a lot of Survivor fans are like, boring, get rid of that. So I understand <laughs> that I'm in the, I'm not in the majority there. Um, but, like, so I do miss those things when they, when they go away. Um, and maybe it was, like you said, because it's hard to like keep that tagline. Um, but, but at the same time, I think the bigger issue for me is that, um, you know, Jeff Probst is not only the host, but he's the showrunner and he's the creative force behind Survivor. So everything we see on screen is, is basically his decision and, and, or his team's work. Um, and I think what we saw starting in episode one, but like just to this absurd level in episode three, um, was just like constant new twists and advantages and idols and all the stuff like pouring down from the sky to literally to the point where episode three like had only one scene that wasn't about advantages or twists or idols or special things or whatever and so i think he just values different things about the show than i do and as a fan that kind of makes me sad that the person in charge of it doesn't see how great it is you know and doesn't or doesn't appreciate how great it is in the same way that i as a fan do um maybe we just disagree but i think he's he keeps taking it in a direction that i'm like no like bring it back this way a little bit please yeah almost almost too many bells and whistles uh, this season like look i'm gonna watch every episode and i'm still enjoy it and whatnot it you know it is a little bit different because i know it's only 26 days and things are happening a little bit faster than they would uh normally but as i spoke to steven about this you know, he brought up a good point about like, hey, you know, because I asked him point blank, whoever wins this season, I don't want to take anything away from them, but can they really truly put themselves in the same class as every past winner when every other past winner had to stay out on that island two weeks longer? And he's like, yeah, you know, I guess it's you're battling semantics here, but yes, they will be considered a winner. But um, he goes, the other thing that I'm thinking of is, you know, now that you've been able to, you know, we, this is season 41, season 42 has already been shot, same thing, 26 days. Does this show ever go back to 39 days? Because now that they've accomplished, even when we're out of the pandemic, if we ever truly are, now that they've been able to show that they can produce a show in 26 days, why would they then back on, add back on two more weeks of filming for all those people when they realize it's not necessary? Do you think it'll ever go back to 39 days or do you think now this is going to be the new norm? Yeah, my guess is it's the new norm simply yeah. because once CBS realizes that they can do this for less money, like they obviously had to do it for COVID um, quarantining reasons this year. And also that costs a lot more money, both the quarantine and testing and everything else. Um, but once that isn't a thing anymore, it may, may not be next year, but the year after that, um, if they don't have to pay that money, but also they can get... 14 episodes out of the exact same amount of time, but they can have everyone working, you know, back to here's back to the crew and pay and everything. Like if they can do it for cheaper, they're going to do it for, for less. Um, and it's pretty, uh, yeah, it's, it's on some level, I think kind of sad that, you know, we're that it seems like that era is, is over. Um, 
and just like we're not we're not going to get that kind of um yeah that, that we're not going to get the same length but all but also like you know we like you said we did have a longer season in australia um and i think there's been uh like i'm trying to remember the season again my I need Wikipedia and other things to remind me of things sometimes, but there was the season where the player, um, thanks to, um, edge of extinction, um, was, Oh, it was, a uh, um, Chris Underwood. So, yeah. uh, in survivor edge of extinction, he gets voted out of the show and then isn't around for most of the game and then it comes back. And then now he wins the show. Um, and it's like, is, is, is there an asterisk next to, next to his name? Yeah. And, even though I hated that, I would say no, because he played that season like it was designed. So I will give the same credit to anyone who wins 41 and 42 and, and on, which is like, they are the winner of their season. They have played, um, you know, like they, uh, you know, they've, they've played the game that has been dealt to them. Yeah. I'm almost thinking like this would be a kind of a uh, kind of jab in the ribs between people who have played the show. Like if they were, if, if all winners were sitting around at dinner one night, the guys, the people who win 41 and 42 and future seasons, if it's 26 days, are like, yeah, you won, but, you know, we, we, we were out there a couple more weeks than you. I mean, come on, give us a little more credit. But, you know, that's all I was looking at it as, is I, I think it might be a little ribbing within the franchise of past yeah. winners. Um, but, yeah, I think I, you're I, right. yeah I'll, I, I'd absolutely acknowledge the winner because I wouldn't be able to last five days out in the wild. So <laughs> I give sure. them all the credit in the world. Um so yeah, I would say I mean, I'm it sounds like you and I kind of have the same overall so far at least through four or five episodes whatever we are in right now of this season in that and we're recording this on Tuesday, you're going to you're going to hear this after Wednesday's episode airs. So um but the overall show this season, I think you and I kind of have the same thought process which there's just too much going on there's advantages, there's immunity idols, there's, you know, uh, all these little things that they didn't have in the past. And it's obviously, it's not, it's not the most easy to follow. It's way more confusing this season than anything else. At least for no, me. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And that episode three was a complete mess. Um, well, I think, yeah, this will be this episode. You'll put it out the day after episode five. Yeah. Episode four, I thought actually was like it was this weird whiplash because like it was like almost like an old school episode and so if we can get more like episode four and fewer like episode three um and i'm actually curious if episode four was re-edited in some way or at least you know like modified perhaps not but there was such backlash to, to episode three just being completely confusing and totally bizarre in so many ways um and i know they can't change the game but they can at least maybe minimize the attention to those kinds of things so um and even like sort of people who love survivor at all costs were just like i was lost i don't know i don't know what's going on yeah. um, and this isn't working so uh yeah I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll get more like episode four um and see see how that goes but like you said i will be watching the whole season and i'm glad to have survivor back i really like this cast um there's pretty much no one on it who's not likable and you know last week we lost or, or not lost but jd got voted out and and he was one of those people who's like super enthusiastic to play the game but he was also like self-aware about how bad he was at playing the game yeah. uh which i really can appreciate so there's something about that where it's like you know, kind of rolling your eyes like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be ridiculous. And then also when he acknowledges just how bad he is and it's sort of not matching his 
uh, vision for how you'd play the game. Um, I'm, I was impressed by that. Yeah. I mean, as much as I am not liking so many bells and whistles and the confusing advantages or whatever, I am curious to see if they come into play at some point and if it works. Like if somebody plays that little ball at tribal council where, you know, you get to pull a safe or whatever, you know, on the parchment, if it totally flips a vote one time and you act, someone, someone uses it, pulls a safe and all of a sudden they were set to go home and now they're not. And somebody that was favorited or wasn't even, you know, expecting to go home does go home. Like that's what I'm, while I don't care too much for so many, I am curious to see if it does play out. Cause it might not even, maybe someone never even uses that little ball advantage. What's it called again? See, I already forgot the name of it. What's it? What's yeah, it? I can't. Oh my gosh. Um, like it's like the, the last chance or some second, third. <laughs> some, I don't, yeah. yeah. But that's it. There's two there. And then also in episode three, they had a, like, oh my gosh, and I'm forgetting the name of this too. But like in the previous episode, they'd introduced some kind of, oh, it was called the beware advantage. Yeah. And it was like, there could be a consequence. And so then in episode three, they introduced something like someone finds a beware advantage, but this is a new kind of beware advantage that is nothing like the other one. <laughs> and like, why did you give it a different name? Like, what is wrong? Like, they just totally whiffed on that. Like, that just didn't make any sense at all. Well, then the other thing is the whole thing that's going on at the challenges with for this idol. They didn't find an idol. They found something that only becomes an idol and becomes in power when all three find it. And not only do all three have to find it, they have to identify they found it by by spewing off some ridiculous sentence at the immunity reward challenge. And we two of the as as far as up through. Episode four, like we said, episode five aired last night and you're going to, you know, maybe it has taken place, but only two of the three have been found. So is it, what's it? Xander has to utter that sentence about, I already forget what it is, uh, but, but he has to say that every single immunity challenge to see if two other people say the same, a, a different line, but totally weird. Something about broccoli's broccoli and trees yeah. is one. And then I, the other one that hasn't been used yet. I mean, it's just like. I, I and hasn't Xander told his whole hasn't both people who have gotten that haven't they already told their whole cast so everybody's going to or their whole team so everybody's going to know when those three people say it that the idol's in play like it's there's nothing secretive about it anymore as opposed to someone finding an idol and putting it in their pants and not telling anybody except maybe they're you know the closest ally we don't even it just seems like everybody's going to know once they do say all those ridiculous lines at the at the immunity challenge yeah, I think they. I think by now, especially since it happened twice, I think everyone must know, and even the tribe that hasn't found it um, yet or doesn't have that in play. Like, in it's honestly like that was one of those twists that felt like as dumb as some of the dumb, dumb things that Big Brother has done over the years. And like sometimes Big Brother can do those things and be silly, and like you know, like from their silly costumes to having people use dumb phrases for things or code words or whatever. Um, but this is just this is absurd. And it's like it's basically the producers scripting lines and trying to create some comedy. But like ultimately, it's just, you know, screwing with someone's game. And also the whole time they have this thing like Xander has it and he doesn't have a vote. And like what kind of like I don't know if Survivor is Survivor if people can't vote. Like yeah. that's sort of fundamental. Like all, all I want from Survivor is like, you know, multiple tribes, two challenges you go to tribal council, everyone gets to vote, like throw some immunity idols in there, um, throw an immunity, you know, from the challenge, all that's great. But like, 
like don't don't mess with that core and when they start to like you don't get a vote and like maybe you get a you get immediate immunity but then your vote doesn't count like it's just we need a whiteboard to keep track of it and uh it's it's not it's not as fun i think um for us maybe it's fun to play for those people because it's so random yeah i someone asked me this a couple weeks ago and and i didn't have an answer to it maybe you do and i just never didn't think about it hard enough Uh, a couple weeks ago the guy who got eliminated that he was a rancher um i forget his name already um, oh yeah. He remember when he built that you know kind of a mini spy shack? It was kind of in uh, the Tony Vlachos fame of where he kind of he hung out by a water well and was you know however many feet he was away to over to listen to two people talking. Someone asked me, well, wouldn't the two people talking see the cameraman that's right next to him filming him in a tree? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I guess they I guess they would unless. And this is what I don't know about camera work, unless that cameraman was in the area, but a hundred feet away, and he was just able to use a zoom, and that was a zoom shot. I don't know, but yeah, I I didn't get a clear sense of how close. I think um I think that was Brad, right? Brad, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and like I didn't get a sense of how close he was. He obviously could hear them, but I think you know, and you think of like every you know most like most camera operators are also going to have a sound person nearby, yeah. and then there's also going to be a producer too. So, um, and like that, that can be, you know, sometimes a producer can just grab a camera and like follow two people because they need to cover it. Um, so that can happen, but, um, essentially like, I think we're, um, you know, yes, like there's, I think sometimes you, if you, if you're on a reality show, watch the camera crews for hints. It's like, if you're on the amazing race, like watch where your camera operator keeps pointing the camera, uh, to see what you're missing. Cause they're really good at like capturing that little thing. Just like, look down right here. It's right here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, cause I, it's, yeah, it's, it's, those are the kind of great moments too from survivor. Also my favorite part of that was not his spying necessarily, but like he runs all the way back and then, basically tells someone what he just did. And the person he told was an ally of one of the people he just spied on. And it's like, so he just basically blew up his whole, um, you know, game right there. Like just yeah. because he's not, not too great at survivor, but that's yeah. okay. Made yeah. some entertaining TV. No, it was, and I, it just gave me something to think about when someone brought that up. I'm like, yeah, I guess, but I guess we, again, we don't, we didn't know how far away he actually was from them, but close, Close enough to here, but there was a camera literally right in his face. So it was like, was that a zoom or was somebody right next to him? And they were right next to him. How did the girls not see the cameraman next to some, the cameraman filming something in the trees? You know, I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. I, there's, there's probably answers that we just, you know, we're never going to get the answer to or questions we're never going to get the answer to. Um, wrap okay. this, to wrap this up real quick, you are someone that obviously covers a lot of the, the main reality shows, but you also dive into some, um, some reality shows that are on streaming services, some more fringe reality shows that you seem to like a lot. I don't, I, I'll, I'll admit it. I'm a, I'm a network snob. I watch the network. <laughs> I watch the network ones and that's pretty much it. Um, I, outside of, uh, too hot to handle and, um, F boy Island. And I think one of the other ones, I don't really watch a lot of streaming reality shows. So for those people that do, uh, give people a little bit of a taste of a couple shows that you think are, are really well done, really well produced, and are, and are good reality shows that just maybe don't make the everyday conversation. Yeah, um, no, I appreciate that. Um, so a couple, here I'll start with a couple of Netflix shows. Um, one has been on the show for the service for a couple of years, and 
there's two full seasons. I don't know if it'll come back for a third. They haven't filmed one yet, but it's called Sunderland, S-U-N-D-E-R-L-A-N-D, Till I Die. Um, and basically it's a behind the scenes look at a um, UK football team and its fans. So it's kind of like Ted Lasso, except uh, in real life. And the show has some pretty incredible access to players and to the behind the scenes of this team. And it gets like really dramatic and emotional at various times and just really surprised me. Um, I also had to keep subtitles on because I wasn't quite sure what words they were using or what they meant um, at sometimes, even though it's in English. Uh, so Sunderland Till I Die. Um, and also relatively new on Netflix is a show called Baking Impossible, which was built around the skills of a former Great British Bake Off contestant, um, who Andrew Smith, who does what he calls baconeering, like engineering with baking. Um, and they basically paired together an engineer and a baker and gave them some absurd challenges like build a cake that is a boat that can float across that you know that has a motor and can like float across this little pool we're going to build or build a miniature golf course that's playable out of cake um and they're just like really smart challenge designs and um you know a lot of camaraderie both between the teams and, and on the teams of people as they put their creativity and their their particular skills to use so um baking impossible is definitely great and, and pretty quick too like i think eight episodes total um and then lastly i'll just mention uh Quibi, if you may recall, the short-lived mobile streaming service. That yeah, it's not even like around anymore, is it? It's not. No, it okay. died about a year ago. Yeah. Um, so rip Quibi. Um, but uh, the Roku uh, company um, bought all of uh, Quibi's shows, um, and they're now put them on something they call the Roku channel, which confusingly you do not need a Roku to watch. You can actually watch the Roku channel on the web. You can get the Roku channel app on your Samsung TV or whatever. Um, or if you have a Roku, it's obviously there. But there's a bunch of really fun shows um, from the Quibi area, including like, you know, some reboots of shows like Singled Out. Um, and there was a, a really fun um, show. Oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking on the name right now. Um, about where they basically took uh, a cannon and blasted people um, in the face with some kind of food. Oh, it was called Dish Mantled. Um, and so they like blasted these these contestants with this food and then they had to like taste it and try to like remake that dish. Um, and because it's a Quibi show, the whole thing happens in eight minutes. So that's was, that was a good competition. And the one I just reviewed most recently is called um, squeaky clean and it's hosted by Leslie Jordan who is an actor you'll probably recognize from things like Will and Grace and other shows yeah. um, but it's a cleaning competition but the whole show is like you know again in like eight minutes so literally in like just over one minute they introduce all the contestants they introduce a challenge they compete in the challenge we hear confessional interviews about the challenge and one of them gets eliminated and that's all in one minute which will <laughs> show you that like not all shows, uh, you know, some shows are quite padded uh, with the content that they have, but also just really fun to watch people clean in high speed like that. So, um, but check out, yeah, check out the Roku channel and the, they're calling them Roku originals, but it's, it's all the old Quibi stuff. And there's some really good stuff in there, even though Quibi wasn't so great. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I remember Quibi was the one that did a lot of eight minute shows. That was their thing, right? Isn't everything, wasn't a lot of their stuff on their, on Quibi, yep. these short, quick things short quick yeah, series uh -huh. even 100 percent of it yeah, yeah that, okay. that was actually its name like quick bite was the idea oh um, okay well that yeah, makes sense yeah so it, and like 
one or two of the shows kind of cheated. Like there was a show called Murder House Flip where two people would come in and try to like flip a house where people had been murdered before. And basically that show was every episode was like one act of a 30 minute HGTV show. So it's basically a show cut into thirds. Um, But but most shows are really like condensed, especially they're unscripted. So it's like you get an entire episode of game show in eight or 10 minutes and without commercials. And so it's, um, and now that you can actually watch it on the TV, it's not bad because you can burn through, you know, a whole season in uh, 20 minutes wow. or, you know, or an hour or whatever. Crazy. Um, well, Annie, thank you so much uh, for coming on. I love talking TV with you. Um, you can follow his work on realityblurred.com. Um, a lot of good stuff up there right now. And you just, I, I, maybe it was the last time you were on, I can't remember, but I think recently you just had another anniversary with the with the website, or where are we at right now? How many years? 20, yeah, 21 years this July, so yeah, we're getting close okay. to 21 and a half. It's crazy. Um, it is. <laughs> but yeah, great work. Uh, love having you on. We'll have you on again in the future. Thanks so much, and uh, definitely talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You got it, Andy. Thank you so much to Andy for coming on. I love talking TV with that guy. Um, as a critic... He's he has his favorite shows, but he's able to look at them objectively, and that's something that I've always appreciated about him. And because you just don't get that a lot when it comes to people and talking to shows about people, if it's their favorite show, they're they're hard to they're very hard to be critical about it because they don't want to feel like they're insulting it or something like that. But um, I think all of his criticism of Survivor is well documented and it's it's credible. And as much as I love Survivor, I've Anybody that has listened to this podcast or read my blog over the last 15, 17, 18 years knows Survivor is and was my favorite reality show of all time. And it, it, nothing will ever top it. Um, as you've heard me say many times with Steven, my memory retention for the show isn't great. And I can't name every winner of that show, probably because I don't cover it. But I've seen every episode of pretty much every season. I hopped on board, I think, in the finale of season one, and I've seen every episode since. So, yeah, just um, great show, but it seems like this season just has too many bells and whistles. It's getting a little bit too confusing. And like Andy said, just just give us two or three tribes, a reward challenge, an immunity challenge, footage of what's going on at the camp, and you know, throw some idols in there and get us to a tribal council. That's what I want to see every episode these beware advantages and you know, this, this ball of power at the tribal this year, it's just like, it's too much. It's a little bit too much uh, as of right now, but they might all work out. It might make it a great season. We don't know. So we'll see how this season goes. So thank you so much to Andy. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, subscribe and review an Apple podcast. We'll be back next week. with yet another podcast. So for Andy Dennert, I'm reality, Steve. Thank you all for tuning in and we will talk to you next week. See you.